Thanks for finding us again. We're where we usually are at World Cup Coffee and Tea in Northwest 18th and Gleason in Portland. I'm Tom D'Antoni, and this is OMN Coffee Shop Conversation number 114. Alan Jones, drummer, teacher, and founder of the Alan Jones Academy of Music, is here. He's been one of our finest drummers for decades. His academy has sent some of our best young musicians to some of the finest music schools on earth. Saying that somebody is a force of nature is overused, but in Alan's case, it's the truth. In his drumming and how he lives his life, he's an interesting mixture of humbleness and confidence. Probably a good thing for all of us to learn how to be. That's something he teaches, too. He's a world traveler and a Portland native, and he's got at least four bands going as we speak. You're going to like Alan Jones. Jones, welcome to the cupping room here at uh, Thanks, Tom. World Cup Coffee and Tea, our home for coffee shop conversations, uh, Northwest 18th and Gleason. Glad you could make it. Happy to be here. I'm glad you could make the time. Was it, How could you make the time? Well, you just have to get in early. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still Mr. Nonstop? Apparently. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it depends on your definition of stop. I I do a lot of different things, and uh, some of them are uh, are music related, and some of them aren't. Uh, but uh, I guess none of us really stop, do we? I stop. We just uh, go, and then we sleep, and then we do some other things. Uh, I watch the ball game. Well, then you're watching the ball game. No, that's stopped. <laughs> Believe me, that is stopped. Well, I've watched a ball game or two in my day. All right. Um, so, uh, when did you move uh, the, the academy? Uh, it's been about two years now, yeah. I think, yeah. coming up uh-huh. on uh, two years. And, uh, yeah, it's been a, a, a really good move, I think. Um, more space? Uh, it's a little bit more space. There's uh, two rooms now instead of one, two separate rooms, so uh-huh. that's really good. Yeah. And uh, I just like the building. I like the people in it. Uh-huh. Uh, the The owners are great, uh-huh. and uh, it's a very artistic space, so the other tenants are are painters and, and uh, photographers and woodworkers, and so it's uh, it's a... That's a nice feeling space. Nice atmosphere. Yeah, and you can play all night, all day. Oh. Uh, anytime. That's so even better. I know. No neighbors <laughs> to bug. Uh, and we're at a dead end. Uh, uh-huh. So it's it's working out great. You're over on Holgate? Holgate. 24th and Holgate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah on the yeah. other side of the railroad tracks. <laughs> <laughs> you're, on the, you're on the good side or the bad side of the railroad track? Bad side. Uh, the wrong side. You're on yep. the wrong side of the Always. Track. We <laughs> always go to the bad side whenever I was traveling. Um, and uh, I guess I still do this, although uh, I used to do it a lot with my old friend Phil Dwyer. Uh, we would always get to a new town, uh-huh. and then first thing was was figure out where the worst neighborhood was, <laughs> and then set out to walk the worst neighborhood. We called it the sweep. Wow. We'd go from wherever we were and we'd walk to the worst neighborhood, see what there was to see, and come back hopefully in time for the gig. Come back hopefully alive. (laughs) And hopefully alive. (laughs) Why did you do that? (laughs) 
Well, that's how you get. Um, that's how you get inspired. On so many levels, you see what is really going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't see what's really going on in the Hilton. No. no. You see what's really going on by going out into the world and and uh, especially places where uh, you know, it's not just the upper crust of society. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you get a sense of a place mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. Talk to people. You you see what the what the store fronts are like, what yeah. the parks are like, what the people are like. <laughs> so if you want to write a song, you got a lot more information to work with. <laughs> if you want to just play your gig, you still got a lot more information to work with. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And nobody, uh, you, you, know, you never felt in danger or anything? Uh, there were times where danger would show up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I used to drive a cab in Baltimore, so I'm well aware. Uh huh. Yeah, that's right. Well, you just have to also have a confidence that you can handle yourself. It's also that's the way important. And for men, it's also the way you carry yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Got to get your shoulders back. Get that walk going. You know, it's true. Yeah. Well, you just have to be confident in general. Yes. Because yes. Uh, it, whether, you, however, you carry yourself, if you know it, it not confrontational but confident and so when people know you're not afraid that right. helps them not feel like they have to be confrontational right unless they're out to, to rob you in that case right. they, in that case you got to defend just yourself do it anyway so. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so are you, are you are you not on the road much anymore are you uh it depends on the it depends on the period. I have been lately. Have I you? was in Where? Europe this sum- all the summer. I've been traveling. I was really? in Europe playing uh, at the Vienna Jazz Festival with my old friend Andy Middleton. He wrote some beautiful new music for Octet, and oh. uh, so I was. Uh, what were the other instruments? Out in Europe, uh, four horns, trombone, uh, berry, trumpet, tenor. Huh. Maybe it was five horns. Yeah, alto, too. Yeah, five horns, piano, bass, and drums. Wow. Yeah, uh, he's a he's a gifted writer and uh, really wrote some beautiful stuff. So uh, I was in Europe. I uh, went up to Canada to play with Phil Dwyer. Uh huh. And uh, and who's also I don't know if you remember him, but he's uh, one of my favorite musicians in the world. Is he in Banff? No, he's oh. back now in uh in on Vancouver Island. Ah. But uh he got uh he has a a fairly large mind mm-hmm. and uh after really being the first call saxophone player and composer for everything happening in Canada over the last <laughs> 30 years, he decided he had seen that world mm-hmm. and uh so he went back to school and became a lawyer. Wow. Studied law. <laughs> and so now he's a lawyer and <laughs> and uh, tenor saxophone player and composer. <laughs> uh, we go back a long way. So wow. I, I was doing some stuff with him up in Canada and then uh, I was in New York uh, playing with uh, uh, Nicole Glover oh. and uh, Gene Perla. 
You know oh, Gene Perla? Of course. I, From I have, Elvin Jones's band yeah, in the 70s? I've, I've got a couple of LPs on the Gene Perla label. Yeah. Yeah, he had a record <laughs> label, the Stone Alliance with yeah. Yeah. with uh, Steve Grossman. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so how's Nicole uh, doing? Nicole is doing great. Yeah? Yeah. She's, uh, I mean, she is one of the best young musicians there is. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of good ones, so that's saying quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, she's um, uh, playing as well. She's playing better than she's ever played. Uh, she's She loves it in New York. Uh-huh. She's uh, playing with all kinds of people. Uh-huh. And um, it's it was the that right I move at the right time I'm for so her. I'm so glad to hear that because I, I interviewed her when she got back from being in New York for the first time. and it, it, She wasn't happy. Right. You know, well, that's like when we started working together. I'm thinking, you know, and she, five she, years she, later, she knuckled down, and and, and 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 you were one of her teachers. Right? Yeah. And so, what what did you what did you do with her to help her come out and and get back to New York? Well, the main thing uh, is what I do with everybody. It's, yeah. Uh, that was kind of the question. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Find out who you are. Uh-huh. Find out what you really want and why you want it. When she came back the first time, she was a bit disillusioned because yeah. environment does play a part in our happiness. It sure plays does. a part in our in our thoughts about who we are and what we want to do. Yeah, and uh, school can be traumatic. <laughs> And and just the whole way in which we compete and compare, and uh, it, it, there's always somebody who's playing way better than you. There's always somebody who's doing everything better than you. So it's pretty easy in the wrong environment to get disillusioned. And uh, so what I do is try and and help people to understand that what they have uh, under any circumstance is unique. Whether you become the greatest saxophone player in the world is um, a, a bigger story and is up to you to decide. If that's what you want to do and you're talented enough, you can, but you have to understand that that's what you want and you have to understand how you can get there. So what I did with Nicole was just bring her attention to a place that uh, that she could understand what she really wanted. And at that point, it was, okay, now this is how you can get there. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be different in some ways with every person. In some ways, it's the same. You've got to practice your ass off. <laughs> you have to practice. You have to practice the right stuff. And you have to do it consistently. And, and uh, with a type of awareness that... Uh, that keeps you in the game day in and day out for four or five years. <laughs> and that's not something that very many people are capable of doing. Yeah. But it helps if you have someone else that you can talk to about it that helps to keep you and that would be you grounded and centered, and that's my job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, I, you know, it, it, it's easy... For somebody, particularly somebody from Oregon, who is a little, little more low key and hits the big city, it's easy to be intimidated. Sure. Easy. 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, and and to and, and to say, oh, well, this is not for me. But it's you know, it's a tribute to her and to you that she's back there and 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 and, and she is, is she enjoying herself? Yeah, she loves it. Oh, good. That's good. That's but good. again, it's all part of of knowing where you're going and why you're going there. She went to New York this time being fully prepared in every yeah, way, yeah. including having made her first record uh-huh. before she left and had the experience of being a leader and and a writer. Uh-huh. And uh, so by the time... Uh, by the time she left for New York, she had been ready to leave for New York for almost a year wow. before that. But uh-huh. it was like, no, <laughs> don't go yet. There's stuff you have to do still. And so by the time she was, she left, she was like, you know, a horse at the gate. <laughs> and it's like, boom, she goes. And they're and, off. Yep. And, and within a week of being there, I think, she played a gig with... Um, uh, oh, geez, who's the drummer who played with Phil Woods forever? Uh, I forget. Yeah, me too. Why <laughs> am I forgetting his name? Bill Goodwin. Oh yeah, she played oh, a gig Bill with Goodwin. Bill yeah. Goodwin. Man, he um, played with a lot of people. Uh, anyway, she just walked into yeah. um, being good enough uh-huh. to start playing with the best. Yeah, yeah. Why? And you know that's what uh, that's what she's been doing ever since, and how. Uh, we ended up doing the gig with Gene Perla. Is you know Gene is a uh, is a, you know a great great musician yeah. and has been on the scene forever. Anyone who can play bass with Elvin Jones yes is yes. Uh, <laughs> is a bass player yeah and uh, uh, so it, when she got the opportunity to play with him you know it was just immediately in his band huh. and. Uh, so it's because she was ready, uh-huh. and she's hooking up with all of these great players. Uh-huh. Now, did somebody do this for you? No. Oh. <laughs> Which is why I do it for other people. <laughs> How did you get there, then? Uh, I'm not there yet. Oh, Very, 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 very slowly come on, with a yet. lot of really stupid mistakes and uh, ones that have take years and years and years of just realizing uh, through the cracks that you're making those mistakes and and you know wanting to fix them so I'm still at it and I will be for quite a while oh come on <laughs> well I don't know how to answer it more truthfully everybody but I know every everybody uh, you're, if if you don't continue to learn, you're you're dead. Uh, and if you're if you if you um, if you're not open to things, you're also dead. But you know you have a level of accomplishment. With, you know, it's international. So come on, that's what I'm saying. You know, I mean. Well, there's. Uh, uh, thank mean, you, you. I appreciate you that. Not, you may not be where you want to be yet, and I. I, I I'm happy for happy for you in that regard. It means you haven't stopped and you keep trying and and, um, and you keep wanting to improve. But you know, most people are going like, "What do you mean he's trying to improve? He's great." <laughs> well, I don't know um, the best way to answer it, but I'll try. It's that I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think I'm great, yeah. and uh, 
I, whatever I've accomplished up till now is um, I'm happy I've done. Yeah. Uh, but it's part of an evolution mm-hmm. towards um, just more experience and more uh, uh, more development on my part. I'm as an example. Uh, there's a style of drumming that I've never even wanted to play seriously Uh, and uh, when I was young even thought you know it was stupid which is just like you know groove music Uh and um, I've come slowly to realize (laughs) that that's the most ridiculous thought in the world that playing groove music on the drums Uh is incredibly nuanced yeah extremely um difficult in that nuance and i can't do it at all really yeah i mean i can do it i can sit there and play the beat but i can't make the feeling that i want to make i mean like the feeling that like a bernard purdy gets yeah sure yeah Mm -hmm. Uh and uh and i could list a whole lot of people that can get that feel so to recognize at a point Uh and i've it, this wasn't just yesterday, but yeah. uh, maybe, uh, you know, coming on slowly over the last 20 years, <laughs> realizing that I can't really do that and capture that feeling, I've put some attention towards being able to do it. But it represents a totally different <laughs> frame of mind than what I normally play with. Yeah. And a new technique, yeah. a different sound, uh-huh. uh, which includes different drums, different sticks, different right. cymbals, and a whole different um, uh, just way of practicing. Yeah. So uh, so I made a band uh, uh, to express some of that type of music, mm-hmm. and uh, that's been a blast. That band's called Abacus. Uh-huh. And, uh, Who's in it? Uh, Mike Gamble on guitar, uh-huh. <coughs> uh, who's remarkable player and musical mind um noah bernstein on alto oh yeah and uh alex meltzer on computer (laughs) and he plays bass too but he mostly does computer stuff so uh that's one of four bands that i'm currently leading that I'm rotating every Wednesday at the Fremont Theater. Uh-huh. So I've got a steady Wednesday night at the Fremont Theater. When does Abacus play? What do they play? When? Uh, that's the third Wednesday third of every Wednesday. month. Okay. All right. Third Wednesday of every month. First Wednesday is my sextet. Uh-huh. Uh, second Wednesday is a trio with Damian Erskine and Dan Balmer called... Trio Uncontrollable. Right, that's the one that used to do Monday nights. We used to do it, Jimmy Max. Max. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then Abacus on the third uh, Wednesday, and then the fourth Wednesday is another new band called um, Social Music, <laughs> and that has uh, John Lakey on bass and George Colligan on piano, mm-hmm. and we have special guests sometimes. So this week it'll be Devin Phillips and um, Tony Passini on piano. Uh-huh. So that's going to be a, an unusual conglomeration <laughs> of people who don't usually play together, which I'm looking forward to. Anyway, the Abacus Band 
uh, is uh, I'm writing all new music for it's oh. it's some of it is pretty mathy and complex uh -huh. uh, but it all has this type of uh -huh. of groove playing mm -hmm. that uh, I'm practicing right now uh -huh. and uh -huh. trying to get better at is there um, uh, is there a, a drummer who plays that maybe other than Bernard Purdy that you could point to as a, uh, for people who uh, who oh there's know? there's most of the drummers that people know can play that kind of music okay. but just around town Brian Foxworth oh, right. is you know right. a master at that yeah. kind of feel yeah. right. um, Tyrone Hendricks absolutely um, uh, Reinhardt Meltz yep. Reinhardt is a great second line. A great what? Second line. New Orleans second line. Oh. Beat, you know? Well, he plays everything great. Yes. Because he's a great drummer yes. and a great musician. But there's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of guys in town who play that, that New Orleans second line. Yeah. Well, it's hard. I remember yeah. the first time I was exposed to it, <laughs> I, was, I, I hadn't really even played the music before. Actually, I had met a, a really good drummer from New Orleans named Jeff Boudreau. Uh-huh. And uh, he turned me on to some of that. Um, but I ended up doing a European tour with an uh, alto player named Earl Turbenton. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. Who, uh, yeah, you know. And brother he has Willie a brother. Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, James Singleton, the bass player. Oh, my God. And Steve Mazakowski, the, uh -huh. the guitar player. Wow. And I hadn't played the music before. Uh -huh. I didn't know what it was like, so <laughs> I I got the gig and uh -huh. and we rehearsed the music and Earl said, "Let me show you what you're supposed to do." Ooh, <laughs> ooh, ooh, man! <laughs> and I went, "Okay, yeah. show me." Yeah, yeah, and he did, and uh -huh. and uh, then you know the guys would chip in every once in a while and yeah. say, "Hey, you know, <laughs> listen to listen to Johnny Vidakovich, listen yeah. to." Um, Zigaboo. Zigaboo. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I learned, you know, during the tour <laughs> how wow. to play that music. Wow. <laughs> and, and you know, sometimes it's the it's the best. I was I got hired in Los Angeles. Uh, they, they saw some TV piece I did in Maryland, and it got out to the PBS station in Los Angeles, they saw it and they hired me all, just off of that. I had never done anything else. I didn't know like one format from another when, when it, in those days as far as tape goes, right? Mm -hmm. And they just threw me in the pool in Los Angeles and said, uh, we'd like you to make a, I did a couple stories for them and they liked them and, then they, and they said, we, we want you to do a half hour documentary a week. A week! I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, right? Yeah. And I failed, but, you know, it was like the greatest learning experience of my life, you know? I was just talking to my friend Eric Potmeyer. He runs a, uh, a wine uh, retail business called Sec Wines. Uh, great, great person, great nose, <laughs> uh, great sensibility. Uh but we were talking about I'm I'm looking to hire someone uh, as an administrative assistant at AJAM, mm -hmm. and um, so I was talking to him about it. And he said he had an he has an assistant that's just fantastic, and 
uh, his attitude towards hiring someone, he shared with me and said, uh, it doesn't matter if they know how to do the job. It matters that they're a person you can get along with right. and that they have the right attitude to learning. Yeah. And so uh, I think that you're right. If you throw yourself or someone else into the fire, they're going to succeed if their attitude is right, if they yeah. want to do it, and that's what their uh, their main motivation is. If it's something else, it's probably not the best way to learn something. Well, uh, one of the reasons I failed was they brought in a new executive producer, and he sat me down. He said, listen, uh, I like your stuff, but if you could just, I'm going to show you a piece of tape. If you could just act more like this guy, you, you'd really be it's very successful. And he put, the th he put the tape on, and it was Geraldo Rivera, <laughs> long before he ever became famous. And I just went, I don't think so. <laughs> I kind of want to be Geraldo Rivera for you or anybody else. So I was out the door before too long. Yeah. You got to go your own way, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> so what, what, so you have been, you've been teaching all along. You've been, you, were, you started teaching early, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I like teaching. That's how I learn stuff. Uh -huh, right. Uh, right. If I can talk to someone else about the things I'm interested in, uh -huh. I learn faster and yeah. more effectively. So I've always taught from the beginning. I, I started teaching lessons when I was in high school. And, and uh, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a, a music teacher. I mean, uh -huh. that was my dream. Really? <laughs> yeah, to be a high school band director. Wow. <laughs> it just seemed like the coolest job. So uh, uh, after teaching of plenty, uh, I realized that I liked it better when I could do it the way I wanted mm -hmm. and uh, not have to answer to any institution or uh, write a syllabus or a curriculum in the way yeah. they wanted me to right. and all those things that you have to do when you're working for someone else and uh, and it was just uh, successful enough that I could do it yeah uh, so I have my own business I have go. my own school right <laughs> and I can <laughs> run it how I want and you're the principal I'm the <laughs> boss so I can run it how I want and mostly that means don't do very much that means hang out with people and talk about music, uh -huh. figure out what they, uh, where they are and where they want to get, uh -huh. and um, help them get there. Is, is there a, uh, what's the process for getting in your school? Do you, do you have to audition? Do you, have to, do they have to you have mostly have to beg. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really hard to get me. <laughs> do they have to have a certain level of competence already? Uh, there is a... Uh, yes, the short answer is yes. Yeah. They have to have a certain level of competence already, but that is mostly uh, they can play their instrument. Um, <laughs> I don't. I, I personally am not teaching people to play their instrument, um, although uh, that comes up plenty in our work. Yeah, but that's not my main job. My main job is to work with people to help them learn to play music. What's the difference? The instrument is something you gain a technical facility on, a sound on, an ability to move your fingers or, or you know, your arms, 
uh, in a way that makes the instrument make a sound. That's what people can already do who come to me. Uh-huh. And then, uh, and yet, you know, at every stage, you're learning to play your instrument better. Yeah. And there's techniques for that. So we'll talk about those things as they come up. But uh, AJAM is a place where you you work on how to become a musician using your instrument. And that takes uh, many other forms besides just being able to play the instrument. It's how you work with other people. It's how you uh, communicate when someone says this, what do you say? Uh, uh-huh. When is it time to play and when is it time to stop? <laughs> uh, when you do play, uh-huh. uh, are you playing something that means something or are you just talking nonsense? If you ask me a question about my school and I start talking about manned space flight, <laughs> there's, uh, I'm not talking to you. Right. Um, we're not in a conversation. Yeah. So uh, music can be very much like that. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, And because it's not words and people don't necessarily understand that you're talking about manned spaceflight when I asked you about s- another question, uh, they don't understand why the music isn't that interesting or why they're not having fun. or. Uh, so a lot of what we do is is learn how to communicate learn how to listen, and what to say when you've heard <laughs> what it is you've heard. Yeah, yeah. And for that, you I mean, you could do that if you could just play one note mm-hmm. on your instrument. But, like I said, uh, there's plenty of work on the instruments, too. Yeah. But that's something that people do in the practice room for the most part. You learn your instrument in the practice room, and it takes hours and hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Of practicing, yeah. and uh, the people who come to me generally already want to do that. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> they, they want to play their instrument well. They want to put in the time, so uh, I'll help them with specific things to work on. But after that, it's it's uh, what to play. What, anyway. other, what other instruments do you play? Uh, whatever you put in front of me. Really? That's now. If you ask me what other instruments do I play well, <laughs> the answer is none. <laughs> but I'll play anything. Yeah. <laughs> I like them all. Bagpipes, whatever. Bagpipes is one thing. I hear bagpipes and I immediately run in the other direction. <laughs> yeah, you're not alone. But <laughs> there's some people that are running towards well, it. Well, I know that. I realize and that's good for them. I'm happy that they love it. You know, I just just go going the other way. Um, so, uh, so uh, oh, let's talk about uh, uh, recording projects. What is it? Not, it? Things are different now. Yeah. Yeah. They so, are. So, uh, what is that? What does that mean for you and the choices you make about whether to record, what to record, when to record? Well, uh, that's a big question. Yeah. Uh, the the real answer you're probably looking for is what I do in terms of my own jazz 
yeah. music. Yeah. But what has really happened for me in the recording world is I still, I still record uh, the way I always have. Go into the recording studio, set up your instruments with the other people, and and play the the songs. But um, uh, like many people, I've found myself um, uh, becoming a producer and working with other styles of music and uh, uh, recording, uh, how do I put it? A producer, as I do it, is someone who helps write the songs, in a sense, who definitely arranges yeah. the songs and then puts them onto the computer. Uh, used to be onto tape, yes. but now it's onto the computer. So um, I function as recording engineer, as um, arranger, as composer, and uh, ultimately as producer in getting the music out. So I've been doing that with uh, a number of projects lately and, and have more work than I can deal with in that realm. And then you got to sit in the chair in front of the computer. Right. But it's fascinating. So, for example, I was working with a young man named uh, Taylor John Williams, who uh, oh, yeah. got famous because he went on the show The Voice. Yes. Um, but it just so happens that he's the son of my wife, oh. which makes him my stepson. Wow. And uh, <laughs> so we had started working together. Um, well, we, did, we did a story on him. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, we had started working together uh, at least a year before he even thought about doing The Voice, and we were working on songwriting. And I work with a lot of songwriters, too, which is how I got into the producing, yeah. working you know, with people who want to just write better songs. So they would come to AJAM and say, I want to write better songs. I'd be, okay, cool. What are you writing? Well, I've got this singer-songwriter thing. We would work on those songs, so I started getting into lyric writing and into into more you know conventional pop structures and and uh, so I've been you know learning about that for the last ten years pretty heavily. Yeah. And uh, so it just sort of naturally evolved that I had some recording gear and and so I started producing the projects. Anyway, as I w started working with Taylor. Um, uh, we we crafted some songs, and uh, then he went on The Voice and got famous, and then he needed to do a record. Yeah. So uh, we did it together, and uh, so uh, that was a really great production experience. We did two records, and um, one's called uh, Song of a Dead Man, and the other is called Heareth. And uh, uh, so I got a, involved in a lot of what producing, you know, singer-songwriter pop is about. Uh -huh. and, uh, <laughs> and I just finished a project with um, with Julia Michi. And yeah. Uh, that's been an interesting project, more folk, um, blues stuff. Yeah, sure. Bluegrass almost. Uh, but... Uh, so in recording, that's what I've been doing mostly, wow. is producing <laughs> pop music. Good. 
Yeah. Why not? You know. Well, it's just like composing yeah. for me. It's yeah. like composing anything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. When I write, I got to sit there and figure out who's going to play what mm-hmm. and what it's going to what it's supposed to sound like, and uh, so it doesn't matter what style it is. It matters whether what you write fits that style and ends up sounding as cool as it's supposed to. What about recording your own bands? Uh, let's see. Yeah, that world has changed. Uh, and yet you still have to record. Uh, the last record I did with my own music was my sextet, uh, the storyline record. Uh, gee, what have I recorded lately in that realm? I'm probably going to have to record Abacus because it's new. I'm probably going to have to record the sextet again soon. So I think the only real difference uh, in recording those types of bands is that um, uh, there may not be CDs at the other end. Uh-huh. They may just sell as downloads uh-huh. online. But other than that, it's the same basic process. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, Abacus... As you described this, and I've, I've, I haven't heard. Him. By the way, do you have any anything recorded by Abacus? You could, uh, you could, you could, an MP3 you could give me. Uh, I've got some bad recordings from the balcony <laughs> okay. of the Fremont Theater, but I don't have anything okay. real. But right. I'll probably get some of that up on YouTube one day if okay. I ever find an right. administrative assistant. I was thinking, I was, I was thinking about what we could play at the end of this. Oh yeah, nothing on me. Yeah. How about from that? Any of your other bands? Uh, you know, Tom, uh, I can't remember if there's anything okay. recent. I honestly right. can't. Okay. Uh, don't worry about it. I don't have it That's with right. me if there is. Right. But uh, um, Nicole just posted a bunch of stuff from. A, a gig last week with Gene Perla yeah. in Trio that is on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, uh, because the, the Abacus seems to me, to, to, I mean, that's kind of what's happening now commercially. Uh, <laughs> I think thing, that you know? there is a lot of that happening. Yeah. 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 And the crossover between jazz and what was jazz and groove music yeah. Uh, is, yeah, I think it's pretty big. Yeah, yeah. Do you still use the term jazz? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, you know. It's I know. You call things, uh, the names change, and you have right. to call everything something. Right. <laughs> so even people who don't like certain terms, they still make up another one. <laughs> you got to call it something. I remember what Ishmael Reed said. As soon as you call it one thing, it turns into something else. Yep. <laughs> yep. And uh, if someone makes a strong argument for a better name and they <laughs> they start using it, yeah, it's okay yeah, by me. Yeah. Well, man, it's great to see you flourishing. Yeah. It's really nice. It's a pretty active time. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, uh, I remember when you came back from Europe and you started that club and the club went out of business because of ceilings or whatever the hell it was, a fire department. And that was a nice little place. The cave. That, yep. was, a, that, was, that, was, that was a very, that was, that was a jazz club, man. That yeah, was, it was. That was a jazz club. Yep. <laughs> and unfortunately, real jazz clubs aren't around anymore for the very reason the cave isn't. <laughs> They're usually uh, 
not up to code. Well, believe me, I, I've had my 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 uh, uh, my share of artistic successes. <laughs> <laughs> this place we played in in Easton, Pennsylvania, called the Lafayette Bar. That's where Larry Holmes is from, the boxer. <laughs> yep. There's quite a few people yeah. that live there, uh, but that is an old throwback style really? club. You can still smoke in there. People are in there smoking and drinking all day, and it just gets f- more full when the jazz starts. Where did you start playing when you was f- when you first started playing in clubs in, in Portland? What, what era was that? Uh, that was in the 70s. Really? Yeah, and I started playing with uh, Jim Pepper and Count Dutch. Those wow. were my first gigs. Huh. As a kid, I was 16. Oh. And, um, yeah, I went on the road with, <laughs> with Count Pepper? Dutch and Jim Pepper. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah, we Speaking we'd, of an education. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'd go in, in Count Dutch's van, and I'd have to move the organ and, uh, <laughs> and the Leslie into the clubs while, while they didn't. Right. And uh, <laughs> uh, that's why I was on the gig. But, yeah, we traveled all up and down the coast and uh, yeah I remember when I went to Berkeley after I graduated from high school um, Count Dutch was so pissed off (laughs) at me he's like you can't learn jazz at school what are you doing it's ridiculous you learn jazz playing with me (laughs) and uh, and then he died (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah so I started pretty young yeah. uh, and um, uh, started, you know, playing the w- and learning the way that people used to yeah. by having someone else yeah. yell at them a lot. Uh-huh. And Pepper was good at yelling. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, you know, we had a long association, Jim Pepper and I. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I lived with him in New York when wow. I moved out there. And then uh, we spent a lot of time in Europe together. And uh, so, you know, that was a relationship that lasted his lifetime. And I, of course, learned a ton from. And so, you know, those types of of uh, what used to be mentor-style uh-huh. uh, relationships, uh, uh, you know, are really the way to learn. And, uh, you know, that's what I try and do at AJAM yeah. as well. That's why I started it. Yeah. and run it the way I do is that it's uh, it's designed to be more of a of a a, a mentorship yeah. program yeah. rather than a uh-huh. a jazz school uh-huh. which it uh-huh. most certainly is not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a place where people hang out uh-huh. with each other uh-huh. uh, the the accomplished players and the not as accomplished players play a lot together and learn from each other because that's how I learned from those guys I can't even imagine you spending all that time with Pepper. <laughs> you can't. I can't. I know you can. I, <laughs> I can imagine it. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, it was a valuable time, and he really, uh, uh, he really covered the gamut of education oh, as well. I'm sure. Uh, sure. uh, you know, yeah. He was a great musically mus- and not musically. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. He was a great musician, a great player. Right. When someone has a tone 
like he had, you learn something when you hear a note when someone has a tone like that. And that's not something you learn any other way except being there, being in the building when the note comes out of the horn. And uh, so you learn that way and you learn how to play with a person who plays the way he played, which is not, uh, not the way people play today. He played notes in in whatever order <laughs> they happened in whatever time yeah. they came out yeah. uh, it was much less organized uh-huh. in a in a technical sense uh-huh. than things are now and so to to play time with with those guys who played in that style it's just a very different experience yeah uh, and and uh, so anyway you learn from doing that and the only way that you can learn that by playing with right. them and then you learn from from their attitudes mm-hmm. towards life towards I mean I learned how to dance and sing Did from you? Jim Pepper wow you know, he was a tap dancer and yeah. a, a native dancer yeah and uh, so uh, and he taught me all the songs that he learned from his grandfather and um, and certainly you know how to uh wake someone up at three in the morning and get money (laughs) how to (laughs) how to uh do so many things that uh, are so interesting (laughs) and (laughs) useful Um, wow well listen thanks for coming in i know you're really busy and i know you had to shuffle some things around but I uh, really appreciate you coming in. This has been fabulous. Always nice to see you. Thanks, Tom. All right, thanks. Thanks.